You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. So great to uh, hear you singing. So special, too, to have the, uh, the Hope Kids up here. And uh, also, too, I want to say happy belated birthday to Pastor Alec, whose, uh, whose birthday was yesterday, so happy birthday to him as well. Yeah, you give him a hand. It's great. Hey, just a reminder, just a few things that are, are happening. Of course, this is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday uh, to each of you, and so fitting that the kids were reminding us of that. Uh, but of course, with this being Palm Sunday, that means that Friday coming up is Good Friday this week. Uh, Good Friday, and we have services at 845 and 1045. And then Easter Sunday, right? It's the biggest day of the year for us as believers. Uh, Easter Sunday, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And again, like every Sunday, our services will be at 845 and 1045. And want to draw your attention to, oh, just dropped it there. Want to draw your attention to, uh, we have uh, the cards like this. There's a, a whole bunch of them on the back counter, just as you leave the auditorium. If you'd like to take, a, you can take as many of these as you want. It's just uh, on one side it says he is risen. On the other side it gives uh, our service times and church name is on there. So if if, uh, if you wanted to take one of these or a few of these and give them to people in your life, um, some some people find it just a useful tool, helpful to be able to just invite somebody, but also to give somebody a card as a reminder uh, with the times and everything on there, our addresses on there too. So it's a tool for you to use. Uh, as you invite people in your life to come in and join us on Easter Sunday. So there's a whole bunch of them. Take as many as you want. There's all kinds of them there. And uh, give them to family, friends, teammates, neighbors, whoever, whoever the Lord puts in your heart to invite to come and join us on Easter weekend. And on that note, when I'm talking about Easter, um, for those of you who are able and willing, if you could on Good Friday and especially on Easter Sunday, if you're able and you remember, if you could uh, park at the school next door, at Jean Sauvé School. We have it arranged with them. We've got an arrangement with them where we, we, uh, we park there. Actually, some, many of our volunteers park there every weekend. Uh, but we have their permission and an arrangement with them so that we can use their parking lot. If you're planning to, if you're going to be here on Easter Sunday especially, but Good Friday as well, and you're able and you remember, if you could park over there, that will just save a spot for a guest. For somebody who's, who's coming to our church, it will make sure that we have lots of parking for those who are visitors or maybe haven't been coming very long. But uh, So this is for you who are especially like, yeah, I'm here like basically every weekend, this is my church, and you're able to, and I keep saying remember because it just, you know, lots of us will show up and like, oh, I meant to park over there. Don't worry about it. Not a big deal. But if you do remember and you're able to, if you could park at the school, that would be great. Also remember too, tonight is prayer and praise night. Very, very, very important that you come uh, because not only because it's prayer and praise, but the theme, the emphasis for tonight is praying for those who are far from Jesus. And this afternoon, I want you to be thinking about uh, who is somebody or some people in your life who you know they need the Lord. You can maybe think of a lot of people, who in particular and I want you to come with that name tonight, ready to pray for them that they would come to know uh, Jesus. Prayer and praise is at six o'clock from six till seven fifteen. Pastor Tim and I we agreed this week that we're gonna we're gonna finish at seven fifteen. Okay, so if you got so bring your kids and uh, young and old, you can know it will be done at seven fifteen, six o'clock until seven fifteen. And those of you who are able and willing to stay afterwards, so seven fifteen will be will be done. We'll 
walk on out of here. And then those who are willing and able to stay afterwards, we need your help. Because not only are the people going to walk on out of here tonight, but the pews are going to walk on out of here as well. And so we need some folks who are willing to help out to uh, unscrew some pews from the floor and to physically carry them out of the room. Which reminds me that if you want a pew, you can have one, okay? This is a special gift for you, especially those of you who like pews, right? And I know that not everybody's happy with us not having pews anymore. I get that. But if you want one, you could have one in your house totally. And some people find them useful in their entryways and that sort of thing. So being dead serious, if you want one, you can have one. But there's two things you got to know about this. One, you got to take it tonight. Okay, you can't store it here. It's got to go. So you got to take it tonight. And two, we don't deliver. Okay? So, but if you want one, just you, you can literally help yourself to a pew tonight. And uh, we'll even help you lift it on out of here if you so desire. Okay, so that is tonight, if you're willing to help. And those of you who are going to stay and help, Leanne and I are going to provide donuts, okay? Because donuts are scientifically proven to restore muscle fiber that's been damaged in lifting. So, I mean, we've got we to help you out, right? I've got to sweeten the pot a little bit. I'm just kidding about that, just in case you're wondering. All right, so that is what is happening uh, today. If you could turn your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 22. And we're going to read from verse 31 this morning, Luke 22 and verse 31. That's our scripture text. And if you don't have a copy of the scripture with you, no problem. We got you covered. Just reach out in front of you, the the back of the pew in front of you, there's some some thin black Bibles. Just lay hold of that and go to page 829. It will take you to the passage that we're in today. Or of course, if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can power it up there. But Luke chapter 22 is our scripture text today. And before we read it, I want to do a little word puzzle with you. Who's ready for a word puzzle, all right? Get your thinking caps on. And I got a, I got a, a six-letter word here. See if you can figure it out. And uh, six letters. And the subject is a feeling, a feeling, like a strong feeling, okay? So here we go. We got six letters. Okay, now if you think you know what it is, you just, just put your hand up right now. If you think you know what it is already, hands up. Okay, not too many, not many takers. Okay, let's do like Wheel of Fortune, R-S-T-L-N-E. Let's start with R, okay? Let's go R and see. Okay, now we got two letters, six letters all together. Starts with an R. Hands up. Don't say it if you know it, but hands up if you think you know what it is. Okay, I've got one person down here. Sue's pretty sure she knows what it is. Okay, a couple others. Not too sure. Okay, let's, let's go on to the next letters. Reveal another one. T. Now we got a T. So it starts with an R, ends with a T. It's got an R sort of in the middle. Hands up if you think you know what the word is now. Okay, there's more and more of you. Now, if you don't know, there's a whole bunch of people that figured it out. So, I mean, don't pressure though. Okay, just concentrate. Let's, let's reveal a couple more letters here. Okay, so now, it's, now we've, we're just missing one letter in the middle. Okay, now how many of you think you know what it is right now? Hands up nice and high. Okay, so tell me, what is the word? What is it? Regret, regret. Oh, and there's a few of you like, oh, yeah, of course. I totally get it. Regret, regret. Do you have any regrets? You got some regrets in your life? I sure do. Got all kinds of them. Things that you did that you wish you never did. Things you didn't do that you wish you did do. Things you said. Opportunities you missed. Occasions you wished you could just have a do-over. I think just about everybody, everybody, has regrets. I got some. You got some too? Now, just to be clear, there's lots of regrets that we'll have in life that aren't necessarily sinful. I mean, they're just things we wish we could have done more or wish we did better. Or, you know, if, if only I knew now what I knew then, right? I would have maybe done it differently. 
we can have regrets that are not necessarily sinful. In fact, sometimes I find as a pastor, I have to spend time with people thinking that through, that you know, we can feel badly about things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're guilty. But of course, there are other things in our lives, there are regrets that we have, I should say, that, well, they, they are just plain wrong. They are sinful. It wasn't a mistake that I made, it was a misdeed. It wasn't just an error, it was evil. It wasn't an oversight, it was sinful. Lots of us here have regrets of things that, you know, we, we knew it wasn't, you, you knew it wasn't honoring to God. And you had no business doing it, but, and you knew that, but you did it anyway. You spoke or you acted in such a way that you saw then, or maybe you just see now, was without question wrong and wicked and sinful. And you feel it. And that regret calcifies into guilt. And you know what it is to have a guilty conscience. You know, David, the great King David, described his guilty conscience like this in Psalm 32, verse 3. He said, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Some of you know what that feels like. You know something of that. That kind of guilt, that gut-level guilt that just, just pervades your body. And you try to smile it away, and you try to push on through, but it's, it's always there. That pang of guilt when you've done wrong, and you know it. remember many years ago hearing somebody say, the most miserable person in the world is the Christian living in sin. Because we know something of the goodness of God and the grace of God, and yet we've grieved him. We feel the guilt of that. David went on to say in the next verse, Psalm 32, verse 4, he says, For day and night, speaking of God, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the summer heat. Miserable, unrelenting, dogged guilt. You know what that's like? Do you know what it is to have a guilty conscience? Well, you're not alone. But the real question that we got to ask ourselves is, what do we do about that? I mean, what, what, what do you do with that guilt? What do you do when you've blown it? What do you do when you live in a world like we do where there's, there's no do-overs? I, 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 can't, I can't hit rewind. I can't skip back to the last scene in my life. Oh, we wish we could, but we know that we can't. What do you do when you've done what you know you shouldn't have done? Or when you didn't do what you know you should have done. When you've sinned against others. When you've sinned against God. Well, this morning we're going to read, a man, read about a man who knew all about guilt. Knew all of, he knew very well that feeling that many of you feel, that I know about too. We're going to read about an occasion in his life that he deeply regretted. In fact, I would say he probably regretted this occasion that we're going to read about today more than any other failure in his life. Not only did he sin, but he did the very thing that he swore he'd never do, but he did it anyway. It was his greatest moment of failure, and when he did it, he was instantly shattered with shame. I wonder if you know what that feeling is too. Well, fact is, is as we read this, for some of us, it's going to be difficult to read this text. It's going to be difficult to watch this scene unfold Not just because we feel bad for the person involved, but because it reminds us so much of ourselves and our own shortcoming. But as difficult as it will be for us to read this text, it's also going to be good for us. 
because we're going to learn from him what to do when you've blown it. Well, what do you do when you've sinned? What do you do when you've fallen short of what God has called you to do? Well, we're going to see that. And, and what I want for you today is for you who are heavily burdened to have that, lift, that weight lifted. For you who are miserable and grieved by a guilty conscience, that today you would find real, true, meaningful relief in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're in Luke chapter 22. Now, just to set the scene for you, we're in our series here called Encountering Jesus in the Final Days of His Earthly Life. We've been studying this last week in the life, earthly life of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion on the first Good Friday. We started on the first Palm Sunday, like we're on today, Palm Sunday. We started the first Palm Sunday we read about in, uh, in the Gospels, and we studied about what happened that day, and on Monday, and on Tuesday, and a little bit of what happened on Wednesday. Well, now it's Thursday. Tomorrow is Friday. What's going to happen tomorrow in the, Old Te- in the New Testament context? What's going to happen tomorrow? The crucifixion. Jesus will be crucified. In fact, what we're going to read right now happened maybe about 12 hours, maybe a little more than 12 hours before the crucifixion. So it's very near to the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus is with his disciples having what we refer to as the Last Supper. And during the course of the meal, Jesus said this. Luke chapter 2, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter, now that's Simon. Simon is his given name like his parents gave him. Jesus is the one who called him Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, Peter's shaken by this. Absolutely shaken. I mean, he says, Jesus says, first of all, he says that he's, he's, Satan has demanded to have you. That word you there in verse 31 is plural. So speaking of all the disciples, the 12 who are there, Satan has demanded to have you. What, what, does, what does that mean? Well, Satan wants to, he wants to shake your faith. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to cause you to forsake me. But Jesus says, he says, but I have prayed for you. Now he speaks directly, specifically to Peter. I prayed for you, singular, that your faith may not fail. And wonder of wonders, we read in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus still intercedes for his people. But for Peter, this is, this is baffling because he is is as serious as he can be here and as genuine as he can be here. He's like, this is not something I would ever do. I I would never do that. How can you speak speak like this? You can almost sense Peter's anger towards Jesus in verse 33. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I I would, in fact, Mark says, Mark was close to Peter and he records Peter's words additionally saying these words. Peter said, Mark 14, 29, to Jesus, even though they fall away, I will not. Who's the they? The other disciples. He's like, I mean, these guys, these guys, they may fall away from you, but I'll never fall away from you. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, Peter said. And all the other disciples chimed in and said the same thing. He's incredulous. It's like, no, I, this, is, I, this is not going to happen. 
But Jesus says, oh, it will happen. Verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you even know me. Now, this is the evening. I don't know how much you know about roosters. Some of you maybe know a lot. Some of you know little. I've visited uh, the Caribbean a number of times, and there's lots of roosters there. And something I learned in visiting there is that I used to think when I was a kid, the roosters would crow when the sun comes up. No, that's not when those dumb birds start to crow. They start making their noise long before the sun comes up. Like in the middle of the night, you go, and as you're laying there trying to sleep, you start having a hankering for chicken, if you know what I mean. So what's Jesus saying to Peter? It's not even just going to be morning. In a few short hours, you'll deny you even know me. Well, Peter just, he can't comprehend this. But a few hours later, of course, Jesus went from there out to Gethsemane to pray. And while he was there, remember Judas Iscariot came along with religious leaders and some soldiers, and they arrested Jesus, and they took him from Gethsemane. They took him to the, to the, to the palace, the estate of the high priest. And there and the, at nighttime, in a sham of a trial, they tried to come up with charges that they could take to Pilate, the Roman governor, because Pilate was the one with the legal authority to execute Jesus. And so in the cover of night, they're trying to do this. Remember, of course, they want to avoid as many of the crowds as they can. And so in the cover of darkness, there they are in the palatial estate of the high priest, and they have this trial going on for Jesus. Well, Peter follows along. In fact, Peter, when we believe it was John, followed along at a distance, and John was able to get them access into the courtyard of the, where the high priest lived. And you can imagine that the layout was such probably that the high priest's uh, dwelling place was like a rectangle, and in the middle is a courtyard. Okay, so with that picture in mind, have a look at verse 54. So Jesus has been arrested. There's stuff going on inside. Verse 54, they seized him, that is Jesus. They seized him and let, seized him, and led him away bringing him to the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Now, I should say, this is pretty brave. Pretty brave. The other disciples, aside from John, all ran. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. So you get the picture? They're in the middle of the courtyard, hot day, cold night. And they're there warming themselves at the fire. Picture yourself at the cottage or at the campground this summer in the cool of the night, getting close to that fire. That's what Peter was doing with others around. Then verse 56, notice what happens. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, you're at a campfire, right? And there's somebody you, you kind of recognize. Well, that person looks familiar over there across the fire from me. Looking closely at him, she said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I, I do not know him. Verse 58, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too was a Galilean. Now we see other gospel writers intimate that it was likely it was Peter's accent gave him away. Some of you have an accent that's different from the accents around here, and you hear it, and you're like, you're not from around here, are you? Where are you from originally? 
Well, Peter, as he he would speak, the accents picked up. Anyway, he's outed. Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. Ever had anybody say something out loud, really loud, that you don't want anybody to hear? And you just, you just want to put your hand over that. That was Peter in this moment. But Peter said, verse 60, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Let me ask a loved one. Have you ever done something that you thought you'd never do? Thought you'd never do? Lie to a loved one? Steal from your employer? Cheat on your spouse? Say hateful words to a parent, to a sibling, to a child? Lash out in anger? Do something violent? Have you ever done something that you've seen others do? You heard of others doing, and you didn't necessarily say it out loud, but you said it in your heart. I could never do that. But then you did. Peter knew all about that, and some of you do too. And in this moment, he is shattered with the shame of realizing, I just did the thing that I swore I'd never do. Notice what happens, verse 61. After denying Jesus for the third time, verse 61, sorry, middle of verse 60, it says, and immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. You see that in verse 60? The rooster crowed, that dumb bird. And what is it doing? Well, the rooster's just doing what roosters do in the middle of the night, making loud, annoying noises. But here, in the providence of God, that rooster is a herald that Peter has fallen. Verse 61, and the Lord, notice, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he'd said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he, that is Peter, and he went out and wept bitterly. Do you know what that is, some of you? That regret, that guilt, that shame. And for some, this is where you are today. You are in this place of having fallen. You're in this place of having sinned, and you know it. And the guilt is real, and it's raw, and it dogs you. What do you do with that? What do you do about it? Well, we're going to see here, we're going to see what the Lord would have us do with it. But before I show you, I just want to show you two things that I think are important for the followers of Jesus to notice. Peter had every good intention of honoring Jesus, being loyal to him. We, show, we see here signs of courage. The very fact that he followed Jesus, even at a distance, speaks of his courage and his care and his fondness for Jesus. But the thing is with Peter is that he didn't know himself like Jesus knew him. And there's a couple of things here I think are important for us to see. I just put it under the banner of avoiding a fall. So like before, we'll deal with the guilt and shame in a minute. But before we fall, I think there's a couple of lessons for us that Peter shows us here, that he teaches us in his situation. First one is this. Don't underestimate your enemy. Don't underestimate your enemy, the devil. Remember what Jesus said back in verse 31? 
Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, he, he wants to test your faith. He wants to, to get in here and, and to sift you like wheat. Like if you're sifting wheat, the, the chaff is blown away in the wind. What's the devil wants to do to you and your faith? Loved ones, you and I got to understand that the devil is real. Demons are real. And the devil and his demons hate us. And we're up against a serious foe. He's smart, he's resourceful, he's active. Greater is he who's in us. But we do have a real foe. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 12. Really important for us to see this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Do you see that? So the, the problem is not your spouse. The problem is it's not your mother-in-law. It's not the government. It's not your neighbor. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's Satan and his demons. This is our enemy. This is our opposition, and it's real. It's serious. Listen to what Peter himself says in 1 Peter 5 and 8. Now, he's got some experience in this, doesn't he? We're reading about it right now. Listen to what Peter says. He says to believers, he says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. It's like, wake up. Wake up. You got to be awake. You got to be alert. Don't, don't go into sleep spiritually. Because this is, this is real stuff. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This number of years ago, a few years ago, there was this story that was all over the news about about some, some guy here from North America he went to a country in Africa hunting and hunting lions. And I guess he'd, it, my memory of it is that he'd, he'd killed this lion and posed with it. And then it was all over the internet. And people were uh, very upset and angry about this, this poor lion being hunted and, and everything. And then let's listen. I may regret using this illustration later. If, if you are a big hunting advocate and all that stuff, and yeah, I'm not your guy, okay? But I do like to eat meat, so I'll just tell you that, so I get that. But, but here's where I'm going with this, okay? So please don't email me about this illustration. I'm not going to read your email. It's, I just want you to hear this, okay? Upset here in North America, look, what, they just hunt the poor lion. Some news outlet interviewed a man from the country in Africa where the lion was hunted. And the guy said something like this, only in North America would they be wringing their hands about a dead lion, like here where we are from, the only good line is a dead one. Why? Because they kill people. They kill people. They come into our villages and take people. They don't show up for selfies. They're not coming in so they can have their, their ears tickled or scratched. They're coming to kill you. Set that aside again. I'm, I'm Switzerland on the whole issue. I'm just saying when Peter says, your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, do not think of ginger or puss in boots at home, whatever your cat's called. Think of a, someone out to kill you, out to ruin you. We have an enemy who wants us to fall. That's why Peter says you've got to be sober-minded, watchful. You can't afford to be passive. So what Jesus says here, he says that Satan's demanded to have you, that he might, he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. See, one of the 
one of the, the great mistakes that we make is too often we underestimate our enemy. We're like the sports team that takes their opponent too lightly and then gets schooled when the game is on. So loved ones here in our church, of course, we emphasize the importance of being in the scripture because we need a steady diet of the truth to arm us against the deceptions of the enemy and to equip us against the folly of our own hearts and to keep the fueling the fire of our awe and wonder of God against an enemy who tries to distract us and dilute us, dilute the truth of who God is. We emphasize fellowship because we need the encouragement and exhortations and helps of one another and the examples of other believers. We emphasize worship because it's vital that we keep our hearts tender before God and our eyes focused on him. Do you, do you think, loved one, do you think you can get by in this battle on a meager diet of God's word? Like, like, do you think that you can, that you can pull this off, do this? Are you being sober-minded and watchful if your Bible's on the shelf all week? Surely you don't think that you don't need the ministry of others. Surely you don't think that it isn't vital for you to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I'm just saying, don't underestimate the enemy. We don't need to live in fear of the enemy. But we ought not to over underestimate him. And that's something believers too often do. Don't underestimate your enemy. That's the first thing. Avoiding a fall. Don't underestimate your enemy. Second, don't overestimate yourself. And that's kind of what we see in Peter in verse 33. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I believe that Peter was being genuine and sincere. I believe he's not just saying that. He really is convinced that Jesus, I would do anything for you. I'll go to any place. I'll suffer any consequence for you. I believe that Peter was as serious as a man could be. But when the test came a couple hours later, he fell. Why? Well, in part, he may have underestimated the enemy, but also he overestimated himself. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6 again. Back to Ephesians 6. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, we need the Lord's resources. We, we need his strength. And praise God, he provides us with resources. He gives us the tools we need. He equips us for the battle. But we need to lean into his resources. We need his strength for the battle. We've got to don the armor that he provides for us. In Matthew's gospel, back in, <clears throat> in Gethsemane, Remember, the disciples were having a hard time staying awake. Jesus said, wait here and pray. And he came back and found them. Remember what they were doing? They were sleeping. And Jesus said to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a willingness there to be strong and courageous and faithful and obedient. But the sufficiency is just not in ourselves. That's why he told them to pray. Watch and pray. Because you don't have it in you on your own. We cannot depend merely on our own resolve or a good effort to live faithfully for the Lord. We need the Lord. We need his strength. And a sure sign that we are overestimating ourselves is prayerlessness. It's a sure sign that we're overestimating ourselves when we're not before the Lord regularly in prayer. When I don't pray, I'm saying to the Lord, I'm good. I've got this. I don't need your help. Of course, that's just foolish, right? That, that sounds utterly foolish because it is. We do need his help. So, loved ones, I want to ask you, are you overestimating yourself? 
I know I've, I've shared this story before, so forgive me for sharing again, but it, it just, I think it just, just clearly illustrates what we're seeing here in this fall of Peter. A number of years ago, I was on a whitewater rafting trip, and um, we were going down the Ottawa River through some pretty heavy rapids, and I'm not a very adventurous person, as you all know, and uh, the reason I was there was, well, other guys were going, and it was just the thing to do, and I even paid for this for some reason, and uh, we went into this experience, and uh, it was a pretty harrowing thing. It was cool because I lived and survived, but I'm not keen, I'm not eager to go and do it again because it's a little terrifying in the middle of it. In fact, there's one rapid we went through that sort of ended the day was they called it the Greyhound Bus Eater. Now, if you're of a certain vintage, you'll know exactly what a Greyhound bus is. If not, think of a big coach, a big bus coach. You know the buses with the bathrooms on the back? Big bus. And this rapid is called the Bus Eater. Why you would get in a rubber dinghy with a paddle, and right into that thing, I don't know, but we did. And you go into that thing, and you plummet down to the bottom of this rapid, and you hit the bottom, and then you look up, and all you see is this wall of water in front of you. And hopefully the idea is that they, you'll, you'll come up over it and out, and you'll have a great time and live to tell about it. And I'm happy to report that our raft made it through no problem, except for a lot of terror, but we made it through. We got out of that rapid, went to the shore to watch the other ones come through. The next boat that came through was not so lucky. They went into the rapid all right, but when they popped out, it was one helmet here, one helmet there, one helmet there, and their boat was completely flipped upside down. People scrambling, trying to get hold on to the rapid, and they teach you that if you fall out of the boat when you're in the rapids, you need to go feet first. Why do you need to go feet first? Because there's rocks, big rocks. And you don't want to, again, why would you do this? It's just, anyway, so, so there's, most people are able to grab hold of the boat and, and we're able to get to safety. There's this one poor guy. He wasn't able to get to the boat, and he wasn't able to get to the shore. He's out there, and he's going to have a really rough ride down these rapids. And the guide comes over. The guides, they come over the edge of the shore, and they've got this rope in a bag sort of thing. The guides are amazing. And they take this rope in a bag, and they taught us before we went into the Greyhound bus eater, if you end up in the water, we will try to throw your rope. Just let the rope come to you and then grab onto it. So they throw the rope. Here's this guy. He's going over like, hang on, buddy. Help is coming. And they take the rope and they throw it upstream so the current will take the rope and bring it right down. And he threw the rope perfectly. It comes right down the water. The guy's floating there, terrified, everything, feet up. And the rope comes down, hits him. And we're like, grab on, grab on. And he grabs on the rope. We're like, yeah, woo, woo. And they start pulling him into shore. They get him fairly close to shore. And all of a sudden, he did the unthinkable. He let go of the rope. And of course, you know what he's thinking. Oh, look how close I am. The, the shore is just right there. I'm good now. No. See, he underestimated the strength of the water and overestimated his ability to swim. And I'm telling you, as soon as he let go of that rope, he just, he went for a rough, he lived, he lived. I wouldn't be telling the story. <laughs> he lived, but man, it was a rough ride all the way down. That's the, the, what we see here in Peter overestimated himself, underestimated the, underestimated the enemy. You need to be careful to avoid this. In the face of strong testing and temptation, Peter did what he swore he'd never do. He denied the Lord. How do you feel about it? Well, it says in verse 62, and he went out and wept bitterly. He's broken, isn't he? Sorrowful, guilty. Perhaps he recalled the confidence and the certainty in his own voice. Maybe a bit of pride saying, Lord, 
These others may abandon you, but I never will. And he did. Maybe he recalled Jesus' warning three times. He said, he didn't, hear, he didn't heed the warning. Three times he denied the Lord. Perhaps he recalled the Garden of Gethsemane when he was told to watch and pray when he instead was falling asleep. Maybe he recalled the teaching of Jesus when Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father. Perhaps when his eyes met with Jesus' eyes, he was reminded of the love that he'd been shown by this Jesus, the safety and the security he felt around him. And he saw and remembered just how precious he is and realized, I've denied I even knew him three times. Is that where you are today? Maybe you have denied the Lord. You've sinned, and you know it. Maybe you find yourself in the shame of your past. You've failed relationally, you've fallen sexually, behaved selfishly. Maybe it's shame in your present. Fits of anger, scorching tone, cutting words, jealousy, drunkenness, impure thoughts. And you are today overwhelmed by a tide of guilt. What do you do? Three things. What to do when you've fallen? Number one, understand your need. Understand your need. It's God's forgiveness. That's what you need. You need God's forgiveness. You need a pardon from the judge. You need forgiveness from God. You cannot go back in time. You understand that, don't you? There's no going back in time. So, so stop ruminating over wishing that you could, because you can't. You can wish it all you want, but there's no rewind. There's no scene select. That's not what you need anyway. What you need is God's forgiveness. You need a pardon from him. You don't need numbing, and that's what some of you do. You try to numb it with substances. You try to make it go away. You try to numb it with distractions and just keep myself occupied and busy, not think about it. Maybe you, you, you comfort yourself with excuses. Or the oldest trick in, human, in the human book is blaming others. Remember our parents, Adam and Eve, when they were confronted about their sin, what was their reaction? It was to blame each other, right? I mean, Adam blamed Eve, even blamed God. It's the woman that you gave me. And Eve blamed the serpent. Well, those are all things we're tempted to do, but none of them will do. What you need is not an excuse, not someone to blame, not a distraction, not some numbing substance. What you need is God's forgiveness. There may indeed be people that you will want to ask for forgiveness. There may be indeed people that the Lord would have you go and seek their forgiveness, but they may not forgive you. Regardless of their response to you, what you need is God's forgiveness. Because remember, it's him you have firstly sinned against. Yes, you may have sinned against others, and, and there is biblical warrant and a time and a place for going and trying to make that right. That's just not my emphasis today. The first thing you need, the foremost thing you need is, is God and his forgiveness. Because even in sinning against others, you firstly broke his law. And it was an assault, if you've harmed others, it's an assault firstly on his image that is born in the people that you've wronged. So you must, your first place that you need to go and what you ultimately truly need is God's forgiveness. That is what you need. 
There is no, you will not in any real genuine way do away with your guilt unless you find God's forgiveness. This was what Peter came to learn and discover. Listen to Peter's words in Acts chapter 10. This is Peter himself. Everyone who believes in him, that's Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So what I need is God's forgiveness. Now praise God. There is forgiveness found from him. And that brings us to our second thing. First, understand your need, God's forgiveness. Second, accept God's provision, God's son. Accept God's provision, God's son. Here's one of the best known verses in the Bible. It tells us about God's provision. Have a look at John 3, 16. You know this verse? Really, really good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What's God's provision? It's his son. See that? He gave his only son. Now the word world there can sound really big and abstract. The world, a lot of people out there. We read that and we're sometimes tempted to think it's, yeah, it's everybody around me, but not necessarily me. You're wrong. It's you. I remember when I was a kid sitting in my pastor's office and him teaching me this verse. And he said, now Ross... What do you suppose the world is? What's the world? And I said to him correctly, it's the people. That's right, it's the people in the world. So God so loved the world. So who does God love? And I answered correctly, God loves people. And then he said to me, and who in particular does he love? I thought for a minute. What do you think the answer is? Who in particular does he love? He loves you. He loves me. Who in particular? And that's true. For God so loved you. What did he do? He gave his only son. That's Christmas. Jesus came into the world. It's also Easter. He came into the world to die for your sins. So that the penalty for the sins you committed, the penalty that's associated with the guilt that you feel, is served by Jesus. God is angry about your sin. And there's a sense in which we should feel guilty about it. Because we've sinned against the Holy God. There's there's a rightness to the guilt we feel. But the good news of the gospel is that that guilt is not to stay. But instead, it's to be taken by Jesus. That's why he came. This is God's provision. Jesus came to take upon himself the wrath, the anger of God, so it can be removed from you. So that when you trust in Jesus, he takes the penalty that was owing to you on himself. And you are now in a place where you can not only be forgiven, but find glad welcome in God. Loved ones, the call that we see here from Peter's story is that we've got to accept God's provision, God's son. That's what Peter did. He came to that conviction that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Accept God's provision God's son. God's provision is not a rewind. It's not a redo. His provision is Christ. And this is so important for you to see this because the devil will work overtime to get your eyes away from the cross of Christ. To get you away from the gospel, doubting the gospel. Because that's where the hope is. And he doesn't want you to be hopeful. That's where the forgiveness is found. He doesn't want you to be forgiven. But when you read the Bible, you read the good news about Jesus, you discover that's what Jesus came to do, to bring about the forgiveness of sins for you. 
And this is so, so important to understand this. So many professing Christians are saddled with unrelenting guilt. And it leads us into one of two ditches. On the one side of the road is the ditch of legalism. On the other side of the road is the ditch of license. The ditch of legalism, we fall into that one when we, we have a guilty conscience because we have sinned. We've done things, we've not done things, and it tears us up inside. And so, But what we do, though, is instead of looking to Jesus and remembering the cross and the resurrection, instead what we do is we figure that in order to fix this thing, I just got to try to tr- do better and try harder. But that's not the gospel. So we get into legalism, trying to earn our way to God, trying to achieve our way there so I can make up for this guilt that I'm feeling. But the problem is that it doesn't work because not only does it not undo what you've already done, but you'll fail in the trying too. So then we're in this one ditch. Well, that's not working. So then so many Christians, many, many professing Christians end up in the other ditch of license. And in this ditch, it's, it goes like this. I can't make the guilt feeling go away. And the more I try, this is like the worse it gets. So why bother at all? And I'll just sort of just take this Christianity thing. There's just too many rules and there's too many expectations and I can't live up to it. So I'm just going to just, just give in and give way and plunge into rebellion. Loved ones, this is not Christianity. You're not going to deal with your guilt by trying harder. Christianity is not a religion of achievement and obtaining things by your effort and your work. Christ is the achiever. He's the achiever. And so the, 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 what we need is to accept him. You cannot go back and change the past. You cannot fix you. God is not waiting for you to reach the next rung of holiness and righteousness. He's calling on you to trust Jesus, who is the righteous one. Stop listening to stuff that's not true in the Bible. And trust in Jesus. Accept him. What you need is God's forgiveness. Accept God's provision, God's son. Thirdly, know the way forward. The way forward is God's grace. Understand your need, God's forgiveness. Accept God's provision, God's son. Know the way forward, God's grace. Now I'm going to get you to turn to one more passage because I want you to see this. It's, it's one of those things, like if you're a skeptic, I'm, you're a little bit cynical, I'm thinking of you right now because I could just tell this story, but I want you to see it for yourself. Okay, so we're going to go to the Gospel of John. We're in Luke. The next book in the Bible is John. So just flip forward to the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And I want you to see this for yourself. Now, where we're going to pick this up here is now lots has happened since we left Peter. Last we saw Peter, he left the courtyard weeping bitterly in shame. Since that time, Jesus was crucified, dead, buried. He arose from the grave on Easter Sunday. And over a period of about 40 days, he appeared on many different occasions in different places to his followers. And this is one such occasion, and Peter was there. Now, the beginning part is that, just to really set the scene, they were, Peter and some others were out fishing, and they saw Jesus on the shore. In fact, Jesus called out to them, and they ended up going to the shore, and when they got there, Jesus had made breakfast for them. It's like, are you sure that Jesus rose from the dead? He, ate, he made breakfast for us today. Yes, he's alive. 
And after breakfast, Jesus had a conversation with Peter. John was there, and I believe the other disciples as well. And this is what was said. Verse 15 of John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, lots is written by commentators debating about what the, what the these are. I'm going to tell you what I think, and I'm pretty sure of it, okay? I think the these are the other disciples. And I say that because earlier in his self-confidence, he said, even if these others abandon you, I never will. Now Jesus says to him, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now, what does that mean? Feed my lambs. Does Jesus have a flock of lambs somewhere that when he goes back to heaven, he wants Peter to look after them? Well, kind of, yeah. But not little cute, fluffy lambs. Like you kind of lambs. Not you kind of lambs. You Y-O-U kind of lambs. People. What's he saying here? He's saying, I want you to serve me. I want you to work for me. I want you to shepherd my people. Now, hang on a minute. Hang on. Is Jesus actually appointing a shepherd over his beloved Budbot sheep who's got a history of abandoning him, of denying him? Yes, you're correct. He says, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know what I love about this? Peter is not getting out his resume. Lord, how could you ask? I mean, think of all that we've been through, all that we... No, no, no. He just appeals to the knowledge of the Lord. Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Jesus says to him, tend my sheep again. Serve me. Care for my people. Verse 17. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Let me ask you, just pause here for a second. Why did Jesus ask him three times? Well, how many times did Peter deny him? Three denials, three affirmations. That's why it grieved him. First time, you know that I love you. Second time, you know that I love you. Third time, I see what you're saying. I see where you're going. You're reminding him of his own denials. But in fact, in this moment, Jesus isn't trying to remind Peter of his past. He's trying to get him focused on his present and his future. And that future is carried out on the bedrock of God's grace. He was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Do you hear that, loved one? No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, when you know Jesus and you're trusting in him, the past is the past. And he's got a future in front of you. He's got a life he's calling you to live. Feed my sheep. 
Verse 18, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. You see, he would die for Jesus' sake. And after saying this, he said to him, notice these words, follow me. That's grace. Know the way forward. God's grace. Get a load of this verse here, Romans 5 and 2. Through Jesus, through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I should have grace underlined too. Where are we standing right now? If you're trusting in Jesus, where are your feet planted? In grace. Not achievement. You didn't earn this spot. It's gift because of God's kindness. Through Jesus, through his his death on the cross and resurrection, we've obtained it, access, by faith. So I didn't earn it. I didn't work for it. Faith is a, a means by which we receive, by faith, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. One more verse. One more verse. Philippians 3. I love this. this I love this. Get, get this verse. Get this. Brothers, Paul says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Listen, what does he do? One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Loved ones, you are called in Jesus Christ when it comes to your past and your failures to bring them to the cross, to confess your sin and to leave them there, trusting that Jesus has made atonement for you and and has forgiven you and has cleansed you. And now what you're to do is to leave the past in the past, to leave your failures behind you. It's maybe what I was, but it's not what I am now. And now to look forward forward into the future, this glorious future, to get on with mission, looking forward to the prize at the end. You say, how is that possible? How is that possible? Because we stand in grace. In grace. God has given us this life by gift, not by our achievement. So what do you do when you've blown it? Understand your need is God's forgiveness. Accept God's provision, God's son. Know the way forward. God's grace. I love how Corey Ten Boom puts it. When, our, when we bring our sins to Jesus, God forgives us and takes our sins and buries them in the deepest sea and puts out there a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Stop fishing. Stop fishing. It's buried in the deepest sea. Leave you with this quote here and then I'm done. This is a song that maybe, maybe some of you heard. My guess is that most of you have never heard this song, but Christian artist named Jordan Felice wrote this song called Blank Canvas. I love this song. Listen to the words. Bleeding colors on a page of black and white. You try your hardest, but you can't stay in the lines. Does it sound like your life sometimes? Every failure seems deeper than the last. But your tomorrow doesn't have to be your past. Because every day is a blank canvas for you. From the God who makes all things new. Lay your worries down and rest in the truth that you're not out of chances. Every day is a blank canvas for you. That is the grace of God for us in Christ. So, dear friend, will you bring your sins to Jesus? Will you confess them to Him? 
Not hiding them, not covering them, not avoiding them, not pretending they're not there. No excuses, no blaming, no justifying, no explaining. Will you just confess your sins to Jesus and bring them to him who died on the cross for you? Will you commit, loved one, to following Jesus and moving forward in the grace that God supplies? There may indeed be relationship mending that you will need to attempt to do, but we're not talking about that right now. We're starting firstly getting things right with God. Loved one, here's the deal. You may have a sketchy past, but in Jesus you have a glorious future.